Vacation Bible School, it was off the chain, but every time we do Vacation Bible School, we do a mission effort and a mission project, and uh, we had that mission adventure, and uh, our children came and our students, and uh, we uh, uh, raised money for the Rose Health Clinic there in Malawi, and uh, you saw the bricks adding up and the building coming up, and that is uh, in part because of what we did in Vacation Bible School. It makes an eternal difference, and uh, that's who we are as a church. Let's make no mistake. You know, there are churches that have great slogans, uh, and when they talk about mission, it really is a good slogan that they have. But friends, we don't have mission as a slogan. We have mission as a substance. It's who we are. And uh, I am so grateful to be part of this family of faith. Boom! Yes, it's 11 o'clock. Are y'all over the turkey coma? Because the other two hours have been stuck in it. So y'all better catch up with me because I am wide awake. I just had my quad shot Americano. And... Uh, I'm feeling it. All right. Uh, one of the things that is so important for us to realize, you know, there, there are a lot of different ways to do church. Uh, there really are. Um, I think that there are not as many right ways and biblical ways to do church as there are churches out there. But, but here's what we do as a church. We try to figure out uh, how that we can be faithful to God, love Him with all our heart, how that we can uh, be faithful in our community and in our relationships, love others the way Christ has loved us, and how we can live the mission every day. And living the mission means that we get involved in, uh, in, in our communities and around the world because we believe that, that, that we as a church can serve Hampton Roads in such a way that it changes the world. And really our vision, I think it's God's vision for our church, is that we serve Hampton Roads to change the world, not just to make a little bit of a difference, not just to make a name for ourselves, not just to add more square footage to this property, not just to add more seats in uh, more, uh, more people in these seats. Um, it, we do what we do because we believe that if we serve Hampton Roads the way Jesus has served us, that we will literally change the world. I mean, transform the world. That's the, the story of the church. From the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, all the way to the end of the book and, and, and the history of the early church from, from the first century all the way to the fourth, fifth, and sixth centuries, we see that, that it began with a small group of people who have been transformed by God's love, who determined that they would serve God and his glory, serve the people in Asia Minor and in Spain and in Greece and up into, uh, uh, down into Africa and up into Asia. Uh, they would serve in such a way that literally the love of God would pulse through them toward others and lives would be transformed and the world literally was changed. And it began with just a few people gathered in an upper room, listening to the words of Jesus, Jesus pouring his heart out to them. There were fewer people in that upper room than what we have in this room right now. And Jesus took that group of people and literally changed the world. Well, that isn't just for Bible times, and it's not just for yesterday times. That's for this right now kind of time. And that's what the Spirit of God is trying to lead us as a people to be and to do. Not merely talk about mission, 
Not merely talk about helping people, not merely talk about serving people, but actually you and I gathered together to be encouraged, then scattered throughout, throughout Hampton, Road, Hampton Roads, the seven cities of Hampton Roads, to change the world with Christ's love. That's who we are. And so if, if you're on board with trying to change the world, then this is the place for you. Now, as we look at, uh, at, at the message today, and by the way, that was free. I don't know that anybody else got that, but I'm fired up. All right, so, so here we are. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we started uh, in the Gospel of John, and, and I don't know if you know this, but every year, 2015, uh, every year, I try to go through one major book of the Bible uh, and preach through it, and, and the Gospel of John was that major book of the Bible for 2015. At the beginning of the year, we started in John chapter 14, and we looked at uh, John chapters 14 all the way to 21 to the end of the, the Gospel of John, and, and that was the beginning. And then, and then a, we, a couple of months later, we started in John chapter 1, and we went from John chapter 1 all the way to John chapter 12. And, and, and now... That leaves one chapter left that we've got to do. What chapter is that? Y'all are awesome. Y'all are so on board. Um, So John chapter 13, that's what we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13, and we're going to see how that Jesus equips us, empowers us, enables us to live a life of love. And and really, it begins with this simple principle. and, and, And if you get nothing else, get this. Loved people love people. Loved people love people. That's the message of John chapter 13. We we see this love of Christ pulsing through him toward his disciples. And you you have to understand the context here. John chapter 13 is really the, the beginning story of the end of the story of Christ's earthly ministry. He knew he was about to die. It's Thursday night. He's about to be arrested. Friday, he's killed. Get it? All right, so, so here Jesus is. He's preparing for his death. And he's in this upper room. He's already had his Lord's Supper. He's already had, by the way, we're going to have Lord's Supper next week. It's going to be a wonderful time. You come back for that. It's always a special time. Uh, but uh, that's communion or Eucharist if you're not part of the Southern Baptist tradition. It's the Lord's Supper in the Southern Baptist. It's a Lord's Supper. It could be Eucharist. It could be communion. And, and, and either, all those work. But um, that's next week. So Jesus already had the Lord's Supper. And now in John chapter 13, and Jesus brings his disciples together and he, and he gets them in the upper room and, and he knows he's about to die. So he wants to impart to them a powerful, life-changing ingredient that will help them with what they're about to face. But more than that, help them glorify God and change the world. And, and the big picture principle of John chapter 13, really the whole of gospel of John is this. It's the love of Jesus that changes the world. It's the love of Jesus that changes my world. And we know this personally and intimately. When, if indeed you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you know that the love of Jesus has changed your life. It's changed your world. The love of Jesus has invaded you where you are, and it's wiped away your sin through Christ's death on the cross, and it's given you a new life from the inside out through his resurrection from the dead. 
And all of that is, is uh, subsumed, consumed in the, in the very simple principle. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And, and, and Jesus came with that love pulsing through him to share with those who would receive him. And those who received him received this love and their world was changed. It's the love of Jesus that changes the world. Now, I'm thankful for so many things we have in, in our world today. I'm, and, and they're good things. They're not, they're not evil things. They're, they're good things. They're beneficial things. But friends, there is no political ideology. There is no uh, economic uh, philosophy. There is no uh, new technology on the scene that will change the world for the better. Only Jesus can do that. All those things may have their benefit, but they cannot transform the world. In fact, in the history of the church, if you go up back all the way to uh, Acts chapter 1, you see that there were seasons in the history of humanity where God's love invaded the localities of different people in different places, so much so that it changed their hearts one heart at a time and literally changed and shaped the culture of that nation or that, that people group. That's called a spiritual awakening. And friends, we are in sore, sad need of spiritual awakening, not just in America, but throughout the world. It's the love of Christ invading a people, so much so that it shapes the culture. Now, guys, that's not, that's not a political thing. That's not a Republican versus Democrat, Democrat versus Tea Party versus Independent versus Communist versus Socialist versus whatever you want to be. That, those political ideologies, that's not going to change anything. It's only the love of Jesus that can change the world. And, and guys, if you don't believe it, then you need to go back and you need to evaluate again how it was that you came to be a follower of Jesus. Because there came, if you indeed are a follower of Jesus, not just a person sitting in a Baptist church, if you indeed are a follower of Jesus Christ, then there was a moment when God's love burst into your soul and overwhelmed your sin and rescued you and made you brand new. And it shapes the way you see yourself. It shapes the way you see others. It shapes the way you see your world. It should. If indeed you're a follower of Jesus, the love of Jesus has changed my life. I'm not the same person. The good news is the love of Jesus keeps on changing my life because I'm not arrived yet. And there's still some edges in my heart and margins in my life and places in my soul that need to be overwhelmed by the love of Jesus again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So as we look at John chapter 13, we see that Jesus wanted to impart to his followers something that would shape them and prepare them and unleash them on their world in such a way that their world would be changed. So look at John chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 1. That's a long introduction to get to verse 1. Verse 1, John 13, verse 1. Now, therefore... Now, now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world and go to his father, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. How does the love of Jesus change our world and change the world? How has it changed my life? Well, the first thing we see here is that, that the, the love of Jesus changes our world because his love matches 
our need. There are two uh, thoughts about Jesus in verse 1 that, that should transform the way we see every aspect of our life. The first one is Jesus knows. He knew his hour had come. You know what that means? That means that Jesus could look through the corridor of time and know what was happening next. It means that he could look on the landscape of his history and see how that landscape was moving and the horizons of his history was matching the horizons of his present and his future. And he could map out what was going on and why it was going on and what what the emotions that was going to bring. He could see that not only about himself, but he could see it for his followers too. The context of verse 1 says that because Jesus understood that his time had come, that he's about to be killed and go to his father, that he needed to help his disciples for that moment. That moment that they couldn't even see. The moment of his death, his crucifixion. The moment of their own abandonment of him. The moment of their faithlessness. The moment of, of their world shattering and falling apart. Do you realize that they had spent three plus years following after this guy and this guy's about to be killed? And it's something that they can't even begin to imagine, even though Jesus had told them over and over and over again it was going to happen. He said, for this reason the Son of Man has come, that he must die and three days be raised from the dead. For this reason the Son of Man has come, that he might seek and to save that which is lost. For this reason the Son of Man has come, that that he might uh, not be served, but serve and give his life a ransom, payment price, death price for many. Jesus had told them over and over and over again, he's going to be killed by the chief priests and the Sadducees. He told them, they just didn't hear it. They couldn't imagine. My goodness, a few chapters before, just just days before, weeks before, Jesus had taken Lazarus who was dead and given him life and called him up out of the tomb. They can't imagine that this Jesus who was the wind walker, wind tamer, wave walker, raised people from the dead person that he would be killed by a bunch of religious nuts. They couldn't fathom that. But Jesus knew the time was coming. He knew why it was coming. And so he wanted... he. He wanted to help his followers. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. See, it's not just that Jesus knows what's going on. It's just that he loves us in the midst of it. Guys, get this. This is a beautiful picture. There are things that you're facing you don't know anything about. There are things that you're facing, and your heart is gripped with bitterness. You see it on on, on your face. You feel it in your soul. You're mad at the world, and you're mad at everybody around you. You need a good dose of Christ's love invading your space. Somewhere along the way, as a follower of Christ, maybe you've just blocked Christ's love. You act like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm a believer. I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't need any more of this love. Well, the problem is that makes you a bitter, dry, moral maybe, but just mean sometimes person. Well, what you need is, is for, for, to open your heart and, and allow Christ's love to invade your right now, your yesterday and your tomorrow. See, Jesus knows where you are. Jesus knows what your hurts are. Jesus knows what your pains are. Jesus knows what you're facing, even though you don't even know what you're facing. And having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He he wants to love you through it. He wants to strengthen you, empower you, equip you, enable you to navigate through your right now, through your tomorrow, and even through your yesterday. That's what his love does. I I, I grieve 
about my own life sometimes because sometimes I, I, I get just mad. You know, have you ever been mad? Some of y'all are mad right now. I just get mad. I get mad because I don't like what's happened in my world. Have you ever been there? I, I don't like it. I don't, li- I, don't like, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. I get mad. I, I, and, 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 and if I let mad settle in too long, I get mean. You know what I'm talking about? You, you let mad have a home in your heart, you get mean. And you get mean toward other people. You get mean to people around you. You get mean to people that aren't even trying to be mean to you. And as a follower of Jesus, I, I look at my own life, I think, my goodness, why in the world am I so mad? And why am I getting so mean? What, what's going on? And, and, and invariably, it's, it's all because something's happened. I mean, there's been a death that's happening. There's a crucifixion that's coming. And I don't like it. I understand that. I understand when the foundations of, of what you've been holding on to are shattered. I get that. But, but here's the good news. Jesus knows right now what you're going through. Jesus knows. And he's going to love you to the end. But you've got to open up your heart and you've got to receive it. That means that you've got to look to him. Stop looking for counterfeit things to get you through the shattering effects of life in your, in your world right now. And look to Jesus and his love. Cling to Jesus. Wake up in the morning. Oh, Jesus, if I don't have you, I don't have anything. I'm dying without you today. Oh, Jesus, will you pour your love in my life? Jesus, you promised to love me to the end. Now, will you start loving me to the end? I'm going to receive it. Now, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, verses that talk about how Jesus has his perfect love meet our perfect need. By the way, the, the purpose of his love is not fully and completely to meet your need. I understand that, that. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, Jesus doesn't love just to meet your need, but, but in part, that's it. In part, the cross was about meeting needs, right? The, the, the death of Jesus on the cross, it wasn't just to make you holy or happy, it, it, but, but in part, it was. So, so, so how do I look at this? Well, through all the verses I have in my notes, the, the one that keeps clinging to my heart and the one that, that man, I, I, it's easy for me to meditate on, it's easy for me to look at, it's easy for me to cling to, it, it, it's a good corrective for me. It's the 23rd Psalm. So the 23rd Psalm, you know, we read it at funerals, and, and, and I understand that, and I've read it at funerals. I, I, the reason I've got it memorized is because I, 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 I've read it at so many funerals. That's not a joke. That's true. And, and, and the 23rd Psalm is, is for funerals. Yeah, but, but, you know, it's for life. You know, the 23rd Psalm is all about Jesus being the shepherd of our soul, the one who in love uh, m- brings his love to bear on our particular need. Now, just listen. The, the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. You know what that means? It means you lack nothing. It means you're emotionally sustained. You are encouraged. You're strengthened. You're, you're physically nourished and nurtured. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Some of you just need your soul restored today. That's what Christ's love is ready to do. He knows what's going on in your world. Let him restore your soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and yes, my cup, it runs over. Why? 
Surely goodness and mercy. Mercy there. Mercy. The Hebrew term for the steadfast, never failing, always abounding, always faithful love of Jesus Christ. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall chase me down until it catches me, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, when Jesus has called us as his own and has made us the object of his love, as he did for his disciples here, as he does right now, it changes our world because his love matches our need. Not only does his love match our need, but his love endures. I love this picture. Uh, beginning in verse 2 all the way down to verse uh, 17 we see, and, and even beyond. But, but, but really we see a picture of Jesus uh, taking, out, uh, taking off his coat and, and, and getting his robe and hitching it up in his belt. Getting a bowl and, of water and a towel and kneeling at the feet of every disciple and washing their dirty, stinking feet. And he did that as a sign and as a picture of his love. He served them to show his love for them. Here the king and the creator of the cosmos, the one who made everything, is kneeling in humility before his own. And boy, we're okay with that. We love that picture. But here's the deal. There was Judas. You see, there was Judas. And Judas already had it in his heart to betray Jesus. And Judas was the one who was going to abandon Christ, the one who was going to sell Jesus for 30 shekels of silver. And Jesus knew it. Verses 18 through 20, read that. Jesus knew that this was the one who was going to betray him. And as he knelt before Judas and as he lovingly took the feet of the one who was going to stomp on his heart in a few hours and as he washed the feet of his betrayer he was saying even to Judas I love you listen Jesus has a love that's not like the sentimental songs that we've sung. It's bigger than the soap opera digest version of love that we've clung to. It's, it's greater and more magnificent than the physical fleets of fancy that we have dreamed about. It, it is a love that endures. It's a love that sustains and strengthens. It's a love that stands the test of time. It's a love that doesn't run and hide when things get tough, and it doesn't run away even when we are ugly to it. It endures. Jesus loves in such a way that he would wash the feet of his betrayer in an act of humility and service. And, and, you know, we're quick to point the finger at Judas we have for centuries. We, Judas, Judas, bad. Judas, dirty, rotten scoundrel, mad, wicked devil. And the problem is we're like Judas. You can say, well, I, I'm not like Judas. Oh, really? Has there ever been a time when you betrayed Jesus? Has there ever been a time when you've been faithless? Has there ever been a time when you've denied him? 
Has there been a time when you acted as if he were not your king? Has there been a time when you, in hostility toward his desire and his heart, willingly disobeyed him and rebelled against him? The truth is, we are like Judas. And yet, Jesus, in his love, endures. His love for me is just as passionate in my obedience as it is for me in my disobedience. That is an amazing love. And it changes my world. That Jesus could love me even at my worst and be as passionate for me even at my worst. That changes my life. That changes my world. His love endures. And the third element of his love is that his love glorifies God. And, and this is really the key ingredient for us. I, I want you to look at verse 31. In verse 31, Jesus begins to, Judas has already gone away. Uh, he, he, he's already left to go betray Jesus. And, 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 and in verse 31, uh, it says, When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now... The Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in Jesus, God will also glorify Jesus in himself and glorify Jesus immediately. A lot of glorifying there going on. You know what he's talking about there? Jesus said, okay, I have loved Judas even though Judas has betrayed me, and I'm about to love a bunch of people that are going to curse me and kill me. And in this, God is glorified. Do you realize that Jesus went to a cross and died out of love for us? Yes. But he would have done that even if not one of us had ever responded in obedience or faith. See, Jesus went to die on a cross supremely to glorify God. The love of Jesus has as its goal God's glory. And that means that Jesus was enabled and empowered to love in, regardless of how we respond. The reason he could endure in his love was because his love was not dependent upon you saying, good job, Jesus, or Jesus, you're my hero. His, his love was only dependent upon showing the world the character of God making much of God, bringing pleasure and delight to God. See, the love that strengthens and sustains is the love that is focused on God's glory, not anybody else's response. And boy, if you get this, you have it all. When our love is focused on God's glory, then it doesn't matter how anybody else responds. All that matters is that God is pleased. So that led Jesus to be selfless and sacrificial. It led Jesus to die for sinners like you and me. And that changes my world. It changes my world most of all because his love empowers me to love others. See, it, it's, it's, it's his love poured into me that empowers me to love others. And, and by the way, this is the command. 
I want you to hear it. Everything, honestly, everything has been an introduction. This is the sermon. Verse 34. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. If indeed we're going to be faithful followers of Christ, the demand, the command from God is for us to love others. But to love them not not the way the Beatles sang about it, not the way Frank Sinatra sang about it, not the way um, Justin Bieber sings about it. Thank you. Please not the way Justin Bieber sings about it. I think that was one of my daughters who said that. I'm nervous about that. Now, the, the way we love others is the way Jesus has loved us. Do you want to know what changes the world? Christ's love changing my world and allowing his love to flow through me to change the world of other people. Loved people love people. The command that Jesus makes is that we are to love others as he has loved us. That means that that we must look for ways to meet the needs of people. And the truth is, I have no idea what the needs of others are. I don't. I'm, I'm clueless, and I feel more clueless now that I'm the lone man in a house of five women. I just struggle every day. What do they need? Oh, Lord, Christmas is coming. What do they need? They don't need any help. I can tell you that. Look, I may not know what my girls need, but since I started on this message, I've started doing something different in my own life every day. I wake up in the morning and I say, Oh God, Will you help me know what my wife and my daughters need? And will you help me love them to match their need? Maybe you need to do that with your family member, your husband or your wife, your son or your daughter, or your sons-in-law or your daughters-in-law or your parents, or your grandparents. Look, this is not a suggestion from Jesus. This is a mandate for us. We need to love in a way that matches the need that they have. And we need to love in a way that endures. It's not fickle love. It's not a love that says, I'm going to love you as long as you're nice to me. I'm going to love you as long as you take out the trash. Or I'm going to love you as long as you uh, pick up the kitchen. I'm going to love you as long as you rake the yard. I'm going to love you as long as you don't say ugly things about me. I'm going to love you as long as I don't think you're thinking ugly things about me. I'm going to love you uh, if. No, that's not the kind of love that we're supposed to show. We're supposed to show a love that endures 
And even when they curse you, even when they say ugly things about you, we're supposed to love. We're supposed to love them in such a way that our love is faithful, even in their unfaithfulness. I know that's hard, and, and man, after every hour, I've had people come up and say, you mean I'm supposed to love if this person has done this to me? And Are you just being rhetorical? Are you just giving an analogy? And No, I'm not. I'm being truthful, and I'm, I'm just trying to share with you what Jesus has said. And It means you're supposed to love even when it's not easy, even when it's hard, because loved people love people and it's a love that endures and we're supposed to love people in such a way that it glorifies God and see here's what it comes down to see if our goal in loving others is for them to love us back then we're only going to love in a selfish way but if our goal of loving others is to bring glory to God then we'll be full throttle in our love. We'll demonstrate the character and the heart of God even when it's tough. See, the goal of our love is to paint a picture of who God is to a world that is watching. To paint a picture of who God is to a world in need. to show them that yes their life too can be changed by the love of Jesus Christ Jesus said it real simple by this the world will know that you are mine by how you love one another so today my challenge to us is to live this life of love. To give ourselves wholeheartedly. As we receive this love from Jesus to return that love to others, to literally serve Hampton Roads, to change the world. The world is watching. Let's show them what God's love looks like. Would you bow your heads? Look, in these next few moments, I know there are a lot of different things that may be in your head or in your heart, but the first thing I would just say is this. If you need to receive the love of God for the very first time. You've never tasted Christ's love. You don't know what his forgiveness is. You, 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 you've thought about God's love and you've, you've thought about Jesus, but it has never changed your world. And I invite you to come to Christ. I invite you, I beg you, please choose Christ. Come to him in repentance of your sin and believing that he's your only hope for life. Come to Christ and be forgiven and find new life. Let Jesus serve you by saving you. So if you're here today and you need to embrace Jesus as Savior and King, you long to choose Christ today, then 
I invite you to come to one of the ministers that will be here at the front. We'd love to share with you more how you can embrace Christ and become a follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, and here's the thing, maybe you just need to take these moments and just thank God that he sent Jesus to love you. And maybe you need to ask Jesus to match his love to your need or to show you how he is matching his love to your need. Maybe maybe you've been faithless to Jesus and today you need to return to faithfulness. You just need to talk to Jesus and say, thank you for being faithful and enduring in your love, even though I've betrayed you or denied you or been disobedient to you. And Jesus, will you swallow me up whole again with your love? Maybe you need to be more enduring in your love toward those around you. Maybe you just need to ask God, God, will you spark in my heart by your spirit a love that is supernatural? A love for my husband or my wife or my children or my parents, my family or my friends or co-workers, people who like me and people who hate me. Will you give me a supernatural love so that I might glorify you? Maybe in these moments you're thinking, how can I share love with someone? Maybe it's just as simple as inviting them to Christmas at first this weekend, asking them to come and be a part of what God's doing here on the 4th, 5th, and 6th. Maybe it's, maybe it's just you uh, asking God, help me point someone in the direction of Jesus. Today, as we respond to God, I'm just going to ask you to respond the way God is leading you. This altar is going to be open for you to come, and their minister is going to be here at the front. You can come and pray with us. Maybe you just need to sit where you are and reflect. Maybe you need to stand and sing songs of praise. But whatever the Spirit of God is leading you to do, I invite you to do it. Oh God, in these moments, as you are drawing to, to yourself those whom you are calling, I pray that they would have the courage to be obedient to you. God, bend our hearts toward you. May we just be loved so that we might love others, so that we might be a part of what you're doing to change the world. Speak to our hearts today, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.